So if you're going to design a, a building, have a building built, typically you need to hire an architect and engineers as well. Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. Jared Jamison, my friend, welcome to the Black Diamond Podcast. Thanks a lot for having me, Eric. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to be here. And what's funny, okay, so you and I give people a little backstory. We had coffee about a month ago here in Whitefish, Montana. And then I realized, I'm like, you know what? I know this guy. We rode a chairlift <laughs> together. Two in the same day, from when I remember, uh, we were both <laughs> trying to run laps as fast as we could. And uh, I, I remember that conversation so clearly because... A, as soon as I got on the chairlift, you were uh, extremely friendly, super easygoing, just someone I, I picked up a conversation with like I had known you for a while. And, and also, you and I had just kind of walked similar paths where we had left you from the East Coast, um, or not East Coast, well, I'll let you tell your story, me from the West Coast, and kind of, we searched around, I think you were in an RV for a while, I was in our, yeah. our camper, and, and then we found this place that just felt like home. And yeah. we stayed and, uh, yeah. And then as happenstance went by, I think we connected over LinkedIn and said, Hey, let's grab a coffee. And now you're on my podcast and it's just a funny way that the, the world works. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it led to this point, Jaron. And if I think a great place to start would be just give us, give us your backstory. How'd you, how'd you get here? Sure. You know, just a little bit of, uh, of how, how, how I got here. We, um, we left Virginia about um, a year and a half ago. And so prior to that, I had, you know, I was been working in the architecture and engineering world for um, about 20 years. Um, and the last 10 years of that was, was pretty much focused on um, managing and helping run a, a, a large AE firm or midsize AE firm. It's about 200, 250 people. Hmm. Um, so during that, during that time, you know, I, I, really found out what I loved to do. And that was, that was helping figure out what makes, what makes business uh, successful. And, and in particular in the architecture and engineering industry, because I love that industry. Um, but after being at a company, at one specific company and working with them uh, for quite some time, it's, um, you know, it, it started getting a little repetitive, if you will, the management of it. And, and, my family sort of felt the same way, you know, from back in Richmond, Virginia, that, that, that's where we're from. You know, it, it, life almost felt like it, 
who were going through the motions a little bit. Um, you know, everyone was happy and successful and everything else, but something just felt like uh, it was it was missing. So, you know, my wife and I had talked for a long time about taking a year and traveling with the kids and spending um, tons of time but with them before they got too old to do that and, you know, just really develop as a family that way. And originally it was going to be on a sailboat because we spent a lot of time sailing and, and just loved that. Uh, but then we started thinking about, hey, what would that be like, you know, actually living on a sailboat? <laughs> and um, when you're anchored out in the in a bay in the middle of the night, when you're getting hammered by a storm and you run out of water and food and don't know when you're going to get it next, it didn't sound too appealing. Right. So um, we thought, hey, let's, let's do it on an RV. Similar sort of look and feel, but it, it's a whole lot easier. And instead of just seeing up and down the East Coast in that year of travel, we could see the whole country. So we did that. The summer, the, uh, at the beginning of last summer, you know, we, we left our jobs, sold our house, sold most of our stuff and what we did, we put it in storage and we struck out across the country in an RV. And um, whitefish came into the story because we were, I'd always wanted to live, to experience a ski town in a mountain, you know, Western mountain town uh, for the winter. And so, you know, we did a bunch of research and whitefish kept showing up on lists as, you know, sort of great ski towns that were still relatively undiscovered. And so we decided that we were going to spend 10 weeks here in the winter. And so we got here last January, early January. And then by the end of January, we had already fell in love with this place and, and decided this is where we were going to, this is where we were going to land when we were done with our trip. Um, so we ended up putting an offer on a house. You know, the, the, the current owners were going to lease it back from, from us or, uh, for a while while we continued our travels. We were going to land back here in the summer. Well, the whole COVID thing hit the world and it, and it changed our plans. And we ended up just staying in Whitefish. While we were going to land back here, we just we ended up just staying here throughout the spring and everything else. And it really grown to love the community here. I love it. And it's also allowed me to start, to start this consulting business, AE Ascend, and, um, which is really allowing me to get back to what I loved about my prior job, which is helping figure out what makes, what, you know, what made our company tick and how you can strengthen it and applying it and helping other companies as well. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty exciting time. That's uh, so great, man. I'm, I'm curious, what, uh, what was it that when you got here in Montana and the Flathead Valley specifically, what, what was it that you're like, okay, this is, this is it? You know, it's funny. We, we had come from, we've been in a lot of other mountain towns as part of our travels, you know, down from in New Mexico and in Arizona and Colorado and up through uh, Wyoming. And um, something just felt right when we pulled in. You know, it's, it's hard to describe, but I think some of it, at least for my wife, like she loves Christmas and, lo you know, loves Christmas decorations. It's, it's um, each year it seems that the, de the Christmas decorations go up a little bit earlier. So, we're currently at November 1st. As soon as November hits, then it's time for the uh, Christmas decorations and Christmas trees to start going up. Uh, when we pulled in the Whitefish early January, the first thing you see as you drive into town is they have huge Christ they have Christmas lights hanging, drooped all throughout all the streets, and it's all lit up. And yet you see the mountain in the background. You know, just a beautiful place. So that, that was our first impression. 
they were, as we started going out and you know check, kind of checking out the town, we would go to the restaurants and the, and the bars, whatever that was, to check it out, and even the ski hill. And it just had a really cool laid back vibe, and it just felt right for us. You know, that sounds strange because you know my my background is an engineer, and I wanted to make a spreadsheet to see where 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 we live, uh, where we were going to live. And my wife sort of put <laughs> into the uh, hey, just what do you feel? <laughs> Right, right. You know, when I when I sat back and asked myself that question, I said, "This feels right." Um, and you know, as we've you know we've been here now almost ten months um, and nine months, and you know, it's, it's totally right. That initial impression, what felt right, uh, has ended up being right. That's awesome, man. The people here and just the, the atmosphere and the feeling of it, it it just fits us. Yeah, and I think. Uh, as a disclaimer too, for people who may be listening, be like, oh, I want to go check out Whitefish. I just want people to understand that the seasons come hard and fast here. <laughs> and that's uh, if you're not into skiing or snowmobiling or something that keeps you active in the winter, uh, it gets cold, it gets dark. And a lot of people who don't do those things or don't have something to keep them busy in those time are pretty miserable during that time. So <laughs> do the research. Uh, we are very far north and, uh, yeah, just a disclaimer for people. Yeah, absolutely um, true. There's a great ski hill um, up here, up here behind where we live, and um, yeah, if 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 you're not doing that in the winter, then you, yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be holed up, and you're gonna have a fire going, and um, you know you'll come out in the spring thaw. Yeah, like yeah, and, and hopefully whoever you live with, your relationships are strong. Yes. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> good disclaimer. Uh, so. Jared, educate me a little bit. I'm, you know, relatively naive to the architecture and engineering industry. Um, You know, my first taste of working with an architect is on the house that we're building now. So just a Mm -hmm. residential thing. So, you know, like very, very half a toe in, I guess you could say. Um, Give us a little bit of history of the architect and engineering, how it's been shifting over the previous, let's say, five to 10 years and kind of where it's at now. Yeah, sure. So um, it's a very, very broad, broad industry and, and profession. Um, so I'll just kind of zoom in on a piece of it um, in, in the interest of time, because you know, if you, if you look at the engineering side of it, um, at least the engineering consulting uh, portion of it, there's there's all different kinds of disciplines uh, of engineering, right? Some of them design roads and highways some of them buildings, some of them machinery, some of them industrial processes, things like that. Um, on the architecture side, uh, it's also broad, but it, it's a little bit more narrow in that most architects are uh, involved with either um, early urban planning, designing, designing um, you know, c- cities and layouts and things like that, um, landscape architecture where you're, you're designing outdoor spaces, and then and then then architecture of buildings. Um, you know where, where you're you're designing buildings for for people that, that need them. Um, so let's focus in on that on the building component of this because the building component of it, um, you've got architects and you have engineers that work together. So if you're going to design a a building, have a building built, typically you need to hire an architect and engineers as well. A lot of times the architect will, will be the one that um, manages all these contracts. So you hire an architect and they'll hire engineers to help them design the building. So they'll need 
structural engineers to help the building stand up. They'll need civil engineers um, to design you know, the, the, um, the land that the building goes on and the site. You'll need mechanical engineers to design the mechanical systems, electrical engineers to, to uh, design the electrical systems, and so on and so forth. Um, so if you t- take that, pretty much any building that, that you're going to design, you, you need that in one capacity or another because you have to get permits to be able um, to, to build. You know, It's different if you're building a shed, but if you're going to build a, um, a home or you're going to build a commercial office building, um, you need to get permits to do that. And architects are the ones that, um, and engineers are the ones that are licensed uh, to be able to, to do that. And, um, you know, each one of those has a pretty large uh, field of study that, you know, that they, need, they need to learn to be able to effectively do that. Um, so it's sort of a fragmented industry uh, right now. There, there are firms that, the firm I came from, we did both architecture and engineering. Um, but I would say most of the industry are, it's small businesses, right? It's small businesses of architects that hire small businesses uh, of engineers, and they hire multiple businesses of engineers to help them do each one of those disciplines. Um, and there's, I believe there's around 100,000 architecture and engineering firms in, in the U.S. now. Um, so you could see most of them uh, are small. There are really large players in the industry. Um, but as far as numbers of businesses, most of them uh, are small. And that's, that's sort of the, what's traditionally been the architecture uh, and engineering world. So it, it's sort of a highly fragmented industry. Um, you have professionals typically that are very um, dedicated to, to, their, to their careers and to their profession. And um, for the most part, most of the people love, love to do it. Um, so some of the struggles that come along with that um, in architecture and engineering school, your, uh, you know, your curriculum is completely filled up with the technical aspects uh, you need to, you need in order to be able to do that. Cause there's a lot to learn. Um, you know, when I was in engineering school, the typical, uh, you know, in order to get a degree, you needed 120 credits out of the engineering school, you needed 138. Um, and of that, other than checking the boxes for your humanities and, you know, English courses and things like that, there wasn't a lot of time to take business courses. Um, and that wasn't really part of the curriculum. So what you end up with, there are architects and engineers that are learning business as they go along by trial and error, right? Um, so I think what we're, we're, we're starting to see, especially as, as we have some of the larger firms starting to grow, you, you're getting a lot more business acumen uh, in the industry. And that's only going to elevate our profession. Um, so that's what I'm hoping to do as well is help build that business acumen for those smaller businesses, not for the, the really large firms where you're starting to see a lot of consolidation. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I I do see some similarities with the fitness industry and the A and E. I mean, there's there's the boutique privately owned gyms, and then there's the huge, mm-hmm. you know, big box franchises and things like that. And I would imagine, you know, one of the things that I've seen the fitness industry. There's a lot of great coaches. People are really good at their craft, right? But the business yes. side tends to lag, and that's where they resist the most to try to engage with it because they just don't like it, 
or, um, or they just weren't properly educated or just don't have the background and they call it the quote unquote business side of things. Well, no, actually it's, it's, it's what you do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) There is no business side of things. It's just part of what you do. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. I, so kind of pan, thank you for that. That was a very helpful explanation, Jared. Panning back a little bit. I mean, here we are in the middle of a, a pandemic. It's September 29th, 2020. Uh, things are changing really fast. I would imagine, I'd be curious to get your insights as like commercial spaces. How are those going to change, right? From these, mm-hmm. now that everyone's working from home, but what, if you, okay, crystal ball me here. If you look five years from now, how do you think the pandemic is going to potentially impact the A and E industry? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good question, and it's it's the one that that's high on high on everyone's mind. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I think as with everything in business, um, when I was getting my MBA, the court sort of drilled this into our head. The answer for everything is it depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a or, or compared to what. <laughs> that was another thing. I'd be like, well, what's so, what about so-and-so? Well, compared to what? <laughs> compared to what? Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think first you got to, you have to caveat it um, with, with that. You know, as to the future of commercial spaces, it's, um, we're going to see how, how it shakes out. You know, it's, there's, um, developers are sort of making bets in both directions now. Uh, when you see out there, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about um, how companies will need uh, less office space if we just, if we just sort of zoom in on office space here. Um, because right now, a large portion of the, uh, of, the, of the employees that work in the AE world are still working remote, um, particularly for, for a company that has any sort of uh, scale or size to it. Um, that that's going to have some interesting implications, right? Um, as I talk to people in the in the industry now and ask them how that's going, they um, sort of get 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 similar responses. You know, I, from from the, man, the the company's management perspective, a lot of people now are saying, "Hey, I'm, yeah, there are people are still working remote, but I'd like to have them back in the office." Um, that's because, you know, as I described before, you have all these players in designing a building and any decision that one of them makes um, affects the other discipline. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you make your structure, your beams holding up your um, floor systems deeper, it affects your ability to put lights and ductwork for mechanical systems in, just as a, as a quick example. Um, so... And also, it's typically not one engineer or one architect working on a project. It's a team of them um, working together because deadlines are often pretty tight on these, on these projects. Um, so there's a ton of collaboration uh, that goes on. And um, under a traditional uh, architecture engineering business model, uh, people love to be sitting next to one another, right? Because um, sort of forces the, the, the collaboration. Um, so the, the, the owners of the, of the companies and, and the people managing these businesses want, like to have people there because it forces the collaboration. Now, the other side of that coin are the, the employees. Um, from what I'm hearing, a lot of people have had a taste of the remote, um, you know, working remotely, and a lot of them like it. 
uh, particularly if you look at, you know, uh, I'll paint with a very broad brusher, which is always dangerous. Um, but if you know um, a lot of engineers, a lot of them are um, tend to tend to um, you know, tend to veer a little bit toward the introverted side of things. Um, <laughs> sure. And they, they and they like to be with their work, right? Yeah. And that that fits someone really well who you know from from a work from home um, scenario. Um, so a lot of people people like it. So companies will offer this in the future. And if you know AE firms want to keep their best people, it, it's something that it's probably not going to go go away, right? Um, so there's a lot of talk. You know, it, that's just in our industry. I think other industries, as, as you talk to folks, that they're experiencing that as well. You know, their employees have got a got got a taste of the remote um, lifestyle, and and they want to want to keep it. You know, we've got some people arriving here today, visitors. <laughs> we talked about that a little earlier before our call here. Um, we have visitors arriving today from friends from back in Virginia that uh, are traveling across the country and they're still working. Um, so, you know, they're going to stay. We still have our RV out back. They're going to stay in that for the next couple of days. And uh, one of them needs to make sure we've got good Wi-Fi because they're going to be on a conference call all day tomorrow um, from the RV. And then they're going to go out and explore the area. Um, so, you know, fundamentally sort of changing the way people's lifestyles, right? Um, so if you, if you extrapolate that to the economy as a whole, uh, you end up needing potentially less office space or office space that's much more flexible, right? Um, so while that may mean that the, um, there's less new buildings being um, designed, which is still yet to be seen, um, you'll see, you may see a lot more renovation of spaces to make them more flexible, right? Mm. Um, and, and so, so that ought to be. I think that's going to be an interesting sort of outcome of of the, the pandemic. What what that changes? Now, if you take it even broader than that, um, there. You know, I, I was reading a study a couple of days ago that McKinsey and Company ha had put out about the construction industry. So, if we're talking about architecture and engineering as it relates to the to buildings, they are a small component of the larger construction industry, um, which is the largest industry in the world. Uh, construction. That's a that's a really big that's a really big um, nugget. And the article is saying that that you know there have been fundamental shifts going on in the construction ind industry, at least for um, elements of construction that. Uh, could be highly that, that you could standardize, such as office buildings or um, medical facilities and, and things like that. There's been a lot of shifts that have been slowly occurring in that industry. And, and what people are seeing now is that the COVID, the, the, the pandemic we're going through are helping accelerate uh, some of those. And those are some really, really big and interesting changes that um, will could fundamentally change the way that the entire architecture engineering industry um, works. And, you know, I can get into that a little if, if you're interested. It's, uh, yeah, well, it's, I was um, just going to ask, like, expand on that, please. I think, yeah, sure. Uh, um, one of the things that we love to talk about is how different industries get to, are getting disrupted or potential for. Um, so, yeah, I'm all ears on that. Yeah, so, so, so their study is very interesting. It's, it's, 
there's been a lot of talk of this over the years anyway. Um, but, you know, McKenzie sort of got the guns to go in and really study this in depth um, and have a lot of participants as part of the study. So they did come up with this, this great, you know, this great study and, it, and it's called um, The Next Normal and Construction. Um, how disruption is reshaping the world's largest ecosystem. So, you know, it gets right to your question. Yeah. Construction's sort of um, right for disruption, if you will, because it's, um, it's a large established industry that, you know, the technology has changed, but it's been sort of slow um, and it's always evolving. But really, you, the productivity of the construction industry really hasn't changed much. Um, you know, the study says over the past 20 years, I think if you even look further back than that, it, it goes even further back than that. You know, the productivity, sort of the revenue you get for the labor costs you put into an industry has not, has not been improving. <laughs> you know, over the history of my career and, and even, even back before that, and it's the same with the architecture uh, and, and engineering world. Uh, you know, the rest of the economy is, is their productivity is increasing, but this, the largest, the largest industry in the world, the construction industry that, that, that architecture and engineering is part of, it's not, um, you know, so, and we're not using technology, you know, again, technology is slowly being adapted in the industry. It's making incremental small improvements, but it hasn't, it hasn't, um, it hasn't been used to the extent it has in other industries. And, you know, so it's sort of, it's right for, uh, for, for, um, for disruption. And the needs of, of customers and clients and, and what they want out of the construction industry is changing as well. So there, there's, you know, the industry is eventually going to change. And in this whole pandemic, from what the study is pointing out, is that it's pushing it to change. And in the ways that they're that they're talking about it changing, um, is that the way that construction currently is, it's it's very project based. Um, so what that means is uh, each design or each building um, that a, that a uh, that's going to be constructed and it's going to be designed is sort of it, it's one it's it's one off, right? Um, you go and you hire an architect. You probably did for your house, right? Because you want yep. you want that one-off house, right? Um, you want something unique, and, and um, so you hire someone and, and they design it. Um, the study talks about how the industry has already started to shift in some areas, and they see a much bigger shift occurring to being more product-based, right? Um, I think if you if you if you if you talk about this to people now that that, that want buildings, or um, you, you're gonna, you know, no way, you know, it's there's no, we want our building to be unique. Well, I, I think if you're if you're a developer um, and you're trying to sell office space, the reason you want it to be unique is because you want to have a way of selling. But you, you want to have a, you want to have a good sales pitch, right? That's part of your value proposition that you have is that you want a unique building. Well, not everyone really cares about that. They want a functional building that will sell and that provides the flexibility that that people will need in this sort of, um, you know, over the over the next over the next however many years. Um, 
So I don't think it's a huge stretch to say this goes more to a product where you go and you buy, you know, if you had contractors that were um, experts or specialized in certain fields, you know, like whether it be they specialized in hospitals or they specialized in multifamily, you know, apartment complexes and things like that. And you go and you buy a preset design and construction from them. You don't have to go out and hire a contractor separately from hiring an architect and engineer um, and all the risks that's associated with that. You go and you hire one person. So you've got one neck to choke, if you will, and they provide you with an end product, right? Um, and you have options. So it'd be, they tie it back uh, some examples to, to the automotive industry. You know, you buy a car and it has certain options to, to it uh, for your building. Now, of course, each site, each location is different. So there'll always be the need for architects and engineers to adapt it to that site. But you can see if you have preset designs and preset solutions um, for, for clients, you know, how that would appeal. It's going to bring costs down. It allows them to manufacture a building, large components of it off-site instead of on-site because it's very dangerous. You know, construction sites are dangerous places. So the, the, um, if you can minimize the time of, of people out on-site, then um, you know, it's, it's a safer environment to work in. You can, and that allows you to reduce cost and, and everything else. Um, and also, it, it brings consolidation, more consolidation uh, into the industry um, because you know, the way that it is now, is you've got contractors and architects and engineers and owners and developers, they all, everyone tries to push the risk off on one another, right? It's who can you push the risk to? Because there's a, there's a lot of litigation. Um, there's a shockingly, shockingly large amount of projects that get designed that come in over budget and behind schedule. Um, if you move more to this product-based product, uh, based, uh, delivery system, then you can better control schedule, better control risk, and um, you know because it's through one entity, and um, better control schedule because it's a known it's a known quantity, right? Um, so that has huge implications on uh, on the industry that does in fact head that direction. Now there are already components that are headed in that direction. You see more and more prefabricated construction or modular construction. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you look at um, a lot of residential um, construction now. There's if you go into a new neighborhood, um, particularly back in Virginia, you know where they're building the five thousand home neighborhoods. You know you get to choose models uh, one through five, and then you can add a couple. Uh, you know you can add a couple uh, options to that. Uh, you know to take that to the next step into multifamily construction or into office space. I don't think it's a huge. I don't think it's a huge stretch. Um, no, no, no. I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, when I, I, I hear you speaking, I'm also noticing that <clears throat> it makes a lot of sense because of the way younger generations values are shifting too. Um, it's less, mm -hmm. it's becoming less and less about ownership, more and more about access to, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, uh, saw some app now that is all about you know, renting pools, swimming pool space in California from private homes. So it's not necessarily the ownership <laughs> of the thing. People want access to the thing. 
And I think yeah. as younger generations grow, they, you know, this, this idea, which is, you know, primarily kind of pushed by the boomer generation, which, you know, kind of trickled down is now getting less and less by generation is of this like custom monument to us. Right. Like yeah, yeah. how big do homes have to get? Right. <laughs> like yeah. really, how big do we need our homes? Uh, it's somewhere like you look at homes I mean, you see them in Montana all the time and you look at old homes and they're like 600 square feet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what people used to live in with a family of four. But now we have these three, four, five, six, seven thousand. The house we're renting now is 10,000 square feet. We're not renting <laughs> yeah. the house. We're renting the, the guest unit in it. And, uh, you know, person who lives here is awesome, but it's just one man, right? Like, so like how yeah. much space do we need and how is access, how is that mindset going to shift from ownership to access? And how is that, you know, people aren't going to care about the customization as much. They're just going to want access yeah. to the thing. And I think that's, yeah, and it, and it, it ties all back. It ties back to that more, um, having flexible space and having people work more from, you know, the ability to work more from home, you know, that lowers cost for, for, for companies. Um, it increases their flexibility. It keeps their employees more engaged. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is, and it ties, it ties right back to that. I mean, that's the whole concept behind, um, you know, companies like WeWork, you know, where, where you, it's flexible office space that, that you can, you can come in and lease sort of by the day, you know, it's, you can be a, and sort of the side benefit is that of that as you're working around other people that are doing um, different things and allows you to have diversity of thought um, and, um, you know, help you be more innovative when you're around people doing different things. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how this, how companies like that, like WeWork, uh, grow c- coming out of this as, as, these, as these sort of attitudes change, you know. And, and I think, it, you know, it's, it's got some pretty big implications for how companies need to manage, manage themselves. If you take, if we take this for, for architecture and engineering firms, a huge portion of, of, what, they, of what their competitive advantage is and, and, you know, what makes them win strategically is, um, is it, are, are things like their brand and their culture, um, you know, it, it's, and um, it's things that are sort of implicit uh, to, to, to them and th- things that are not easily uh, described. So when everyone's together in the same office space, um, it's easy to be able to share your knowledge, your expertise. Um, everyone can see sort of these implicit behaviors occurring in the workplace, which drives culture um, and values and beliefs. Also, it, it just inherently happens sort of organically when you're together. Yeah. Well, as you become, as, as more and more people become remote and they, and they spread out and they're not all together at the same time with these flexible office configurations, that's going to mean companies need to go through and make the Im- implicit explicit, right? You, you need to be able to go in and know exactly um, what was driving uh, your competitive advantage, the, the things that are, uh, you know, the, the, your culture and the, 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 um, how expertise were shared and the experience inside of the brains of these people. You need to find a way to codify that, if you will, and define what those behaviors are explicitly in order to be able to maintain the, those cultures um, 
and, and which is essentially your brand and the brand promises you're delivering to, to your clients. Um, that's going to be a big challenge for AE firms, but then for a lot of other firms too that are more knowledge-based, um, they're going to need to figure, they're going to need to figure out how to, how to make that implicit explicit in order to keep their competitive advantage. So that's something I'm working on too, which I think is extremely interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's going to take, it's probably going to take a little time to figure that one out. You know, I look yeah. at like uh, when we started our uh, journey leaving California in 2017, my wife got the approval to work from home, uh, mm-hmm. which allowed for everything to happen, you know, but for a long time, she was the only one kind of doing it within her, her team. Yeah. And it was always, we were always worried, right? Like, uh, God, what happens? The power goes out here. And she can't join that meeting. Everyone's, it's going to bring attention to her and we don't want to yeah. lose that. Right. But now everybody does it. And, you know, it's, it's just interesting how, how they, they manage their teams. And even like, uh, you know, you look at the BLM movement, right. And mm-hmm. we're, we're not going to get into that, but, you know, within her corporate environment, they had mandatory education on, Hey, here's what we're doing differently. Here's how, you know, we'd like you to listen to these speakers. And I guarantee you that that cultural shift is going to be much harder to do digitally than if you brought everyone into a conference room and had oh, yeah. a feel of what everyone was. You can actually feel in the room what people are, are thinking at that moment, right? Now everyone just can kind of like turn their screen off and listen. And it's just not nearly as powerful. So it's it's like little things like that. How do you shift your culture? How do you create that culture? How do you... Um, you know, keep people in communication, have those quote unquote water cooler movements. Are they, you know, moments, are they even, are they even available anymore? Can you do that digitally? Who knows, man? It's, it, but it's, if you can solve that problem, right. I mean, that's the thing about entrepreneurship is you focus on the problem yeah. and then the solution comes and that's when you get innovation. That's when people become successful. So one thing that's interesting about right now is like with all this disruption, it's really interesting. All the stuff you said about AE is, is for entrepreneurs, we're like, this is great, right? <laughs> this yeah. is all this change, all this innovation coming at once. It's almost overwhelming. Where do you start? Uh, I think like many, many people, it's, you feel like a Labrador, too many tennis balls. You're like all these problems, all these opportunities. And, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating, man. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the, it's like the whole point behind, you know, Clayton Christians is the, the, the innovator's dilemma, right? There's, yeah. That there's, the companies that are well established are scared to death to go out and do that because it's going to wreck their existing business model. Um, but these change if if your clients and their needs are changing, it's probably good, you're probably going to need to change your your business model yep. as well. And those that do will keep on going, and those that don't may get left behind. You know, the consumer wins right? That, that's ultimately what happens is the consumer wins. And, you know, we get so focused on the needs of the company and uh, the needs of the business that we forget that the consumer needs are what we need to be focusing on. And it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's a big, uh, and, and it's just in trying to understand it right now, because it's changing so rapidly uh, is, is really critical. You know, Jared, before we kind of wrap it up, I, I just wanted to take note too of, you know, some stuff you wrote in the intake form of, you know, you spent a good amount of your recent years focusing on fun in your life and, um, you know, really focusing on your lifestyle 
you know, as a business mm-hmm. person, an entrepreneur. I love to hear, was there a catalyst to that moment? Did you guys like, what, what was it that, was there a burnout? Was there, what, what was it that made you say, Hey, I'm not doing things the way I want to do them. I, it's time for a yeah. change. Yeah. You know, uh, the first, I was very much career focused, you know, the first 20 years of my career, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, there was a long period of time that I did really love it. Right. Um, and it was, it was, it was rewarding enough that, that um, it really, really drove me. Um, and I would say if, if there's a catalyst that made me sort of start paying a little bit more attention um, to what it is, it wasn't burnout. I think it's, it's, it's not the right word that happened. Um, well, the catalyst was the, the company I was working with, um, you know, we had, we'd gone through a lot of challenges and, um, but then experienced a lot of growth uh, as well. Um, and we got approached by, um, you know, another company and who wanted to acquire us. And we went through, um, so we did go through with, with the M&A transaction and, and they acquired us, right? Um, and it was an extremely large company. So we were a company of 185 and we were, we were, we were bought by, um, you know, a parent company that had, was 30,000 people something like that. So culturally it, it completely changed. And the things that um, were super exciting to me before that acquisition um, became, I weren't part of my, you know, weren't part of my job description anymore. <laughs> you know, they're, yeah. they're making the decisions that, 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 um, that helped drive the company in a direction or, you know, the big strategy sort of decisions, those were no longer, we had input for sure, uh, but it was no longer like primary responsibility because, you know, you've got a large parent company that that was something that they wanted to um, control more, right? So it became much less exciting, right? It wasn't as challenging from that perspective. And that's where I was in, in my career. So it wasn't burnout as much as it was, you know, there's, there's a, was it Johnny Rotten that said, and Neil Young saying about it, right? It's, it's better to burn out than fade away. Um, <laughs> it was more of a fading away, right? Like it, it just wasn't, wasn't that exciting um, to, to, to go into it, to work every day. And I'd spent, you know, that last 20 years really focused on, on work and, um, you know, I had, during that time was, was, was working a lot, but then also went on nights and weekends to get an MBA, things like that. And, and here I have kids, you know, I was still pretty good about spending time with them, but not the kind of time that, that I wanted to spend. And, you know, they would make comments every once in a while. Uh, my daughter would about, about how much I worked or something, you know, since I was always on the phone at home or working, uh, or working from home. Um, well, that was probably more when you're at risk of burning out. Right. Um, but the fading away piece is, is, is bad. You know, that's when you just sort of start to lose motivation and the excitement of what you're doing. Burnout's always used as sort of a negative term, mm-hmm. but burnout actually comes from something positive because you're so invested and so into it um, that, that, that you allow that to happen. You need to step away from it but you're in a situation where that is something that, that you're so passionate about, you're putting that kind of time in. Why well, wasn't it? It was more, more of a fading away. Um, 
So yeah, we as we, we sat back and, and, and thought about it, I was like, well, you know, I, I could easily ride this out um, for the next 15 years of my career, whatever that is. But then what am I gonna, am I gonna look back on that and think that, think that was the right decision? Um, and my wife is, very, I'm very much um, more of a planner and she's much more of a, um, hey, everything will take care of itself. You just need to take a risk and step out there and do it once, uh, you know, go for it. And that's what we decided to do. We're like, hey, let's, let's change our focus here and focus on spending time as a family and, and let's, have, let's have fun for a year, you know, and see where that leads us. Pretty much, you know, there's one thing I've noticed a lot is that if you, if you keep positive about things and, and you keep, keep going it and you follow, follow signs that are sent your way, things always seem to work out. So why not go for it big and see how things work out? And um, that's what we did. Yeah. You know, yeah, man. Jumped ship and from, from the, from the normal, if you will, and, and decided to go for it. Speak my language, man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate our time here. Jerry, and just uh, let the audience know where, where can they find you? Where, if they want to get a hold of you and talk to you more, where where's a good place for them to go? Yeah, sure. Um, our our website is is probably the best. Um, there's a there's a blog there, and um, you know there's lots of information there of um, you know what we're thinking. I, I think it's it's also can learn a lot from from that, and we also have some online business courses there for architects and engineers. Um, that we've developed and, and are continue to develop. And anyway, that website is AE Ascend. Um, so the name of the company uh, is really, we came up with that on this trip as, as um, you know, we're cl- I climbed a lot of mountains on this trip because I love doing that. Um, and I started thinking about it and being like, you know, business is a lot like this. It's, it's ascending a mountain, right? Um, so that's where, that's where the name came from. It's all about helping architects and engineers climb to new heights. Um, and oftentimes that's not straight up the hill. It's not the straight line. You know, you're taking switchbacks and, um, you know, it's, that path to success is not often a straight line. So that's, that's, how we approach, um, that's how we approach business as well. We want to help people build the, the knowledge um, and the insights about their company and the agility to really be able to succeed. Um, so that's where the name comes from. And that's A-E-S-C-E-N-D, A-S-C-E-N-D.com. A-E-S-C-E-N-D.com and check it out. And there's a place there you can you know, get in touch with me and send me a note. Uh, love to hear your thoughts. Awesome. Well, Jared, thank you so much for, for spending time today educating me uh, on the industry and, and some of the interesting uh, implications of all of the change that's going on right now at a drastic rate. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And I know, uh, I know you and I'll, well, you and I will see each other soon, no doubt. Sure. Looking forward to it. Yeah, right on. Ladies and gentlemen, Jared Jameson. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. 
Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. Whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be, I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, Make an introduction, whatever it may be. You can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast and you can expect a lot more from us.